0: are on the line.
1: Five you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 we're taking your calls and text all show long christian clemente joining us of auburnsports.com on a thursday afternoon christian how you doing today my man i'm doing good how about you doing really well it's not a friday but we're happy to have you
2: yeah it feels a little weird mixing it up the past couple weeks now actually but doing pretty good
1: and we're gonna mix it up with you here on the show today talking some recruiting talking some auburn football as well as auburn basketball kind of feels like a sports equinox gentlemen
3: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really it's really an exciting time in sports right now. This is my favorite time of the year because of the weather, for one. Uh, I don't like starting off the show just kind of blandly talking about the weather, but I will say I'm a cold person type of guy. I love this type of, uh, of weather where it's cloudy outside, it's cool, feels great. And not only that, we've got basketball, we've got football. It's just a, it's, it's a great time to be a sports fan, man.
1: Before we get into Auburn Athletics... You are another member of this beat that loves the Atlanta Braves, yes. and they won the World
2: Series. I mean, this has been a banner sports year for me personally because of first the Milwaukee Bucks, now the Atlanta Braves. This, is, this has been great.
3: So it's only right for Auburn to go on and, and win the
2: SEC championship and get to the playoff then, right? It seems to be shaping up that way, if all things are going correctly. I mean, I'm a Titans fan too, so you know, maybe Derrick Henry gets back in time for the playoffs, make a Super Bowl run. Everything's going right right now tell me how did you become a braves fan because you're from montana uh i don't really have a story on how i became a braves fan i just needed a team when i was like america's six team six or seven years old and chose the braves so yeah i ended up with the braves
1: what do you like about the braves what got you there i'm serious I, you I, don't know you're just I, like I, re- I like this
2: team i really don't remember i just decided to cheer for the braves when i was really young um i grew up in atlanta for like three years um so I guess I just chose them because of that. But I didn't follow every Atlanta sports team, so I don't know.
1: You made the right choice on which Atlanta sports team that you chose to stay with because I'm not a big Falcons guy. Take it or leave it on the Hawks. Go Braves, though.
3: I It's a very similar situation to uh, what I put myself in when I was younger. I didn't have an NFL team, didn't have a uh, an NBA team, because I just simply didn't care. And to be honest with you right now, I don't really have – a team but I picked I got together with some friends and we picked the Vikings as the team to pull for in the NFL and I picked the Rockets for literally no reason and so I just I, I follow let's see the NFL teams I follow the Vikings the Seahawks the Panthers uh, and the Saints were are probably the four teams that I actually care a little bit about but the NBA teams I still care about Houston and I do care about of uh, the Mavs as well because I just like Doncic
1: I'm gonna be honest with you. You need to change your Twitter handle. <laughs> Why? Because it's Daw Pound, which was a reference to the Cleveland Browns. It was, Daw not Pound. In, it was
3: not intended to be a reference to the Cleveland Browns. In fact, it used to be like my gamer tag for things back back in the day, and so I just kind of brought it back for the for for the uh, for the old Twitter handle.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I thought you were going to become a Cleveland Browns fan with me, but I'll it's pull, okay.
3: There's misery right now, and you don't want to come. I'll pull for the Browns, sure. I, but but I'm not going to be like I'm not going to be a diehard like I, I, I even find like it's difficult sometimes to watch them too. So I'm not going to go do the extra links to like go look for it. You know,
1: this man's going to like this, I think, because of your preference for basketball. But the Cleveland Cavaliers are actually kind of a fun team to watch, and I know Isaac Okoro has kind of been in and out of the lineup this
2: year with some injuries, but that's a good team. They've been very weird. Like running Laurie Markinen at the three. I yep. did not think it would work, but surprisingly it has so far. And Evan Mobley's been very good as well, too.
1: They have potentially one of the best front courts, if not the best front court in the Eastern Conference with Jared Allen. Yeah, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Laurie Markkinen, Isaac Okoro's
2: coming off your bench. Hey, you could say the same thing about Auburn basketball. That's
1: that true. true. That is true. So let's talk a little Auburn basketball. You cover recruiting, they landed a big commit.
2: Yeah, Chance Westry. Um we have him listed as a point guard on Rivals as the number 26 player in the class. He's more of a combo guard. He's going to probably play the two or the three at Auburn just because of his height and his length. He makes a living on defense. He's an incredibly lengthy defender, really good out there, and he also makes a living driving to the basket as well. That's kind of where he excels. Not that he's a bad shooter. I would say he's actually a pretty good shooter, but he's better attacking the basket. So getting him to pair with Trey Donaldson, I think, I think that's a fantastic combo there.
1: Of course, Auburn fans are going to look across the state, and they're going to see a day later Alabama snagged two commitments in the same day, both of them top 60. One was number 11 on 24-7 sports' rankings. They got some high-profile guys. I don't know where Alabama's going next, and of course, I haven't looked up and down at their roster to know how many spots they have to fill this year. But for Auburn, how many spots do you think they have left to fill in this upcoming recruiting class, and where do they go? I know Jarris Walker's a top target. Who else maybe? are they looking at?
2: Yeah, so Jairus Walker announces tonight, actually, 8 o'clock, but I expect him to be announcing a commitment to Houston, so I think that probably leaves, that finishes things up for Auburn right now, I think. I think they're going to sign two in Chance Westry and Trey Donaldson. I expect both of them to sign next week once the early signing period opens up. They have a couple other guys that they're tracking, a guy like Kamari Lanz, who's a small forward out of the Arizona area. He was former teammates with Chance Westry, Westry just moved high schools now but you know they're tracking him they're keeping up with him but I think Auburn's just rolling with two and then they're going to hit the transfer portal in the offseason for just you know roster attrition that occurs that's unexpected so.
1: How many guys do you expect to go pro after this year of course I think Alan Flanagan's professional hopes I don't know if you agree with this but I think that's the Achilles injury has to do something to damage that so I would imagine Jabari Smith's the main guy of course I mean he could be a top five pick he could be a top three pick he could be in the running for the number one overall pick Mm -hmm. when it's all said and done but who else off of this roster do you think has a pretty good chance to take the jump to the next level
2: I think there's as many as three but right now I'm going to expect two Jabari is going to be gone I think Alan Flanagan is going to be gone because he was already I mean he was on draft boards last year playing point guard when he had no business playing point guard so I think him being back at his natural spot assuming he comes back healthy and everything's good I think he'll end up going to the draft. And then the third one would maybe be Walker Kessler. I don't know if he'll be quite ready after this year, but there's certainly a pretty good possibility of it. So at least three guys, and then you never know when guys are going to hit the transfer portal you know, from this year's team or whatever. So there's going to be some roster attrition that Auburn will deal with in the transfer portal after the season.
1: So what I'm hearing right now is three forts. Three guys from the front court could go pro, at least two. So what do you do to replace that if you don't land Juris Walker tonight? Because you don't have any other guys right now. I mean, I guess Westry could fill Flanagan's spot, but the two big guys, Jamari Smith and Walker Kessler.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think I would look at the roster that you have right now a little bit. Jalen Williams is pretty good. I mean, he was solid last year as a starter. I think he could certainly play uh, starting power forward next year. I think that's more of a natural spot for him. Dylan Cardwell I think is going to take at least a step forward I don't know how big of a step forward it will be this year but he's going to continue to grow and get better you have stretch ocking Bowl as well and then like I said the transfer portal I think that's what they're going to really hit after the offseason
3: looking past this season who are some guys on this roster right now that are maybe younger or maybe need some more time to develop that we could see make the jump to the NBA at some point in their career
2: uh, I would probably say Katie Johnson and then Wendell Green um I think Wendell Green is kind of Jared Harper-esque. I don't know if he'll ever be able to get drafted, but I think he'll find a way to maybe get on an NBA team or work his way into the G League, stuff like that. I think he's just too talented of a scorer and a distributor not to. And then Katie Johnson as well. I think he, I mean, he's just a dog out there on defense, and then offensively he's pretty good as well. So those would be probably the two that I would look at. I still like Jalen Williams as an NBA guy at some point eventually too. I mean, just he has a pretty unique skill set.
1: He reminds me a lot of Grant Williams, the guy that played at Tennessee. He's undersized for that position at the next level. Not as much as Grant Williams is, but Grant Williams had a really strong base. He was a big guy, and he was able to push guys around with a low center of gravity. And Jalen Williams has done a great job of attacking the boards at this point in his career. And you got to love the motor.
2: Yeah, and I mean, shooting the three as well, he has surprisingly good handles, surprisingly good passing for his size. Off the backboard to himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think Jalen Williams is a guy that eventually he might work his way into the NBA.
1: Coming up this Friday against Southern Indiana. I can't believe that's already tomorrow, actually. Exhibition game for the Auburn men's basketball
2: team. What do you expect the starting five to be? Ooh. Okay, so Bruce said that they have four of the five spots decided. I was very surprised to hear actually that Wendell Green got the starting spot because it had to, it was leaning Zep Jasper there for a while. So I don't know what went down where Wendell was able to get that spot, but he seems to have locked it down. I think it's going to be Wendell, KD. Small forward is the one that I don't think they've decided yet. I personally think it's going to be Devin Cambridge to start just because he does have that experience. But personally, I like Chris Moore a little more, but I would expect to see Cambridge and then Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler.
1: What have we seen from Chris Moore that makes you like him more than Devin Cambridge at this point? What type of leap have we seen from him
2: during practice? Yeah, well, he's slimmed down a lot, so he's in much better shape. He's a little bit quicker out there. I think he's honestly a better shooter than Devin Cambridge. They call him three-mo in practice because he does hit quite a bit of threes. Um, I like Chris Moore a lot. He always seems to be just in the right spot. You know, you see him out there. He's always getting an offensive rebound, getting a defensive rebound, doing something to impact the game in a small way. That you might not notice on the stat sheet but you see it in the game so I like Chris Moore a lot personally I think he's a guy that by next year he could be that starting small forward and could be really good for Auburn I think it's somewhat fair to
3: ask this question based on the way that Auburn has played under Bruce Pearl it, it occasionally has taken times or time for the team to develop chemistry it's taken you know up until January February even into March for Auburn to truly catch fire Looking at this uh, this early season slate, obviously Auburn opens up the season against Moorhead State, who was an NCAA tournament team. Should Auburn fans at least be aware of the fact that this team, as talented as they are, could potentially start out slow, or do you think they're going to come out the gate firing?
2: Yeah, I think Auburn fans definitely need to be aware of that, and I think that's a pretty good possibility. You still have a lot of new guys on this team. You're missing one of your top, I'll say top two players, in Alan Flanagan, and I think that's going to negatively impact the offense a little bit and certainly the half-court offense. I think early on this is a team that's going to thrive on defense and making a living there winning games like that. They might struggle a little bit in the half-court offense because they don't have Flanagan, but once he's able to come back, I think they'll surge. And I mean, the timing of his return is perfect. I think they'll be able to surge kind of going right into SEC play. How do you expect the lineup to be
1: handled tomorrow? Not just the starters, but how do you expect the bench players to factor into tomorrow's equation?
2: Yeah, I mean, Bruce has talked about this a lot. He's going to play at least – he said he's going to play 10-11 to tomorrow. I mean, I think he's – he said he's not going to necessarily play 10-11 to all season. I think he can. I think he has that luxury. He
1: typically does, though, right? I I was shocked by that comment that he made because Bruce typically does play 10 deep off of his bench.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think he probably will. Um, You know, let's just say moving forward with everybody healthy, your point guards, you have Wendell and Zepp. Shooting guard, you could have KD and Devin Cambridge, small forward, Al and Chris Moore, power forward, Jabari, Jalen Williams, and then you have three at center. So I think they're going to play 11 deep, and I think that'll work out perfectly for this team, and it'll be a big advantage for them.
1: How to Stretch Factor into all this? Because Akin Bola is a guy that not a lot of folks are talking about, but apparently he's added a little bit more of the three-point shot to his game. I know he's been in and out of ball games, really hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, Does Stretch get into that this year, or is he the 11th man on the bench?
2: I think he's probably the 11th man, but I still think he plays. I mean, I still think there's a spot for him to get, you know, anywhere from five to eight minutes a game or something like that because I don't think Walker and Dylan can do it all at center. Um, They do have that option where they could play kind of small ball a little bit and play with, like, a Jalen Williams at the five, and they did that in the orange-blue scrimmage, but – I think Stretch finds his way onto the floor for some minutes every game.
1: And there's got to be because Stretch always seems to be one of the most joyful players on the team. He's always so engaged. Not implying that if he wasn't getting playing time, that he would transfer, but it does tell you a lot about a guy that he's joyful and engaged even when the minutes are in that 11th spot on
2: the bench. Mm -hmm. He's so vocal in practice, too. I mean, everybody looks at Dylan as, you know, kind of the team mascot for lack of a better word the guy that's very vocal and out there and fun to be around stretches that guy kind of in practice stretches very loud he's calling things out to his teammates even when he's yelling just sitting on the bench he's yelling to his teammates you know shift left shift right do stuff like that I mean he's a vital part of this team for a lot of reasons that fans can't see
1: something that I want to point out here before we go to break Bruce Pearl has been here since what 2014 2015 somewhere around that time we are nearing a decade. It's 2021. He's been here for seven years. Now. Yeah, seven years, seven, eight years. Bruce Pearl has established a culture. And how often do we see coaching changes happen? They happen in football every four or five years, it seems. I mean, Dan Bowen's already on the hot seat. We were talking about that at lunch. That's just bewildering to me that coaches one bad year could turn the fortune for a coach that quickly. Basketball, maybe it doesn't happen as quickly as it does in football. There seems to be a little bit more patience on that side of things. But I do think there is something to be said about the culture that Bruce Pearl has established at Auburn and the fact that it hasn't soured. In fact, it's continued to build.
2: Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with that. I have, I mean, I told this story on the show, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, but a 2023 basketball kid told me that he thinks of Auburn as a basketball school and he was surprised by the football environment. I mean, Bruce Pearl has totally changed the basketball program at Auburn just entirely.
1: Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we talk some football with Christian Clemente of auburnsports.com. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Gall with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us on the show today. Christian, tell everybody all the content they can
2: expect. Yes, we'll have some different uh, preview stuff going up tomorrow for the football game. We'll have basketball coverage. We'll have, obviously, the football coverage on the weekend over at AuburnSports.com. So we'll have, we'll have a ton of different stuff for all the people over there.
1: Of course, Auburn, Texas A&M this Saturday going to College Station. Look, Lance and I, we're confident. Very confident. Oh, I'm,
2: I'm the same way. I picked Auburn to win by two touchdowns. I picked them by a little bit more than that. <laughs> okay, I wasn't going that far. But I feel, I feel more confident that Texas A&M's win over Alabama was kind of a one-off. I really don't believe in this Texas A&M team. I don't think they're all that great. Would you their go home- as
1: far as to say they are frauds?
2: I think that's a fair assessment of them, just like their home field advantage. Um, Children's playground? Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I don't believe in this Texas A&M team. I think you'd be hard pressed to find too many better teams in terms of coaching and playing right now than Auburn. I mean, I think they're getting coached very well. I think they're playing really well. Bo Nix is playing the best football of his career. Tank Bigsby seems to have been re energized a little bit in that old miss game. I feel really good about Auburn going into this game.
1: My thing is somebody tells me a positive about AM, I feel very comfortable with my counterpoint about that. For example, AM's strength right now, running the football. What is Auburn's strength on defense? Stopping the run. And they've got a defensive line that is ranking in the top ten in the two major categories that you grade defensive lines on. Sacks and tackles for loss. They're first right. in the SEC and tackles for loss for, per game. I mean, right. I just there, – there's a lot of instances of that where I look at this AM team and somebody can tell me a positive about them, but I'm like, but look at Auburn and look at how they're good at this and at stopping what A&M does well.
3: And then on top of that, talking about the rushing numbers for A&M, these past two games against Missouri and South Carolina, both their running backs have gotten over 100 rushing yards, but it's against Missouri and South Carolina, statistically the worst rush defense in America, in Missouri, and then South Carolina, uh, who who is not a very good football team. We were talking about them earlier at lunch, though. They could potentially... You know, If they, they beat Missouri, they beat somebody like that, they could be looking at that Clemson game as like, all right, this is our bowl eligibility game. So yeah, I've been, be, I've, I've been been calling
2: Clemson. them FCS South Carolina when I look <laughs> at Auburn's schedule. I mean, they've been a disaster this year. But I, I don't know. I just don't believe in Texas A&M at all going into this game. I think Auburn, like you said, they're going to be able to stop the run. This defense has been flat-out dominant in the second half. They've made a living off bend but don't break, which is what I think most defenses in college football today need to do. Unless you're Georgia's defense and you're that dominant, you need to make a living off bend but don't break.
1: Well, the cover three is common across all of football. Started in the NFL, trickled down into the college game. It's very common, and that's a lot of what Auburn
3: does on defense. I've got a statistic here for you. Auburn's defense so far in conference play has held opposing offenses to 59% of their season rushing totals. So if Auburn keeps that up against A&M, and m will have 111 rushing yards, which would indicate that a going to have to turn to Zach Calzada to, uh, to throw the football, who has thrown at least one pick in the last six games, I believe. And he's thrown one in seven of the eight games that he's appeared in this season. So there you go. And that's stats from uh, Auburn today on Instagram. So Auburn, like you mentioned, should be able to stop the run in this game, should be. And then everything that AM will try and do off of that, I think is not going to work because, it, like we talked about yesterday, just – Zach Calzada is just not a good decision maker. He's just not a good quarterback.
1: Believe it or not, five of his seven interceptions this year, according to Pro Football Focus, they have come when he is not under pressure. I actually think he's handled pressure fairly well. He's not a statue. He's not a runner either. But I do think that he's mobile enough to avoid pressure, and this year I think the statistics show when he has been under pressure, he's done fairly well for what you would expect, a freshman quarterback thrown into the fire to be able to handle. Auburn 26th in the country in sacks, they're 4th in the country in tackles for loss, 1st in the SEC, only giving up 3.26 rush yards allowed per attempt. I just don't see A&M being able to run the ball effectively here. I think it's a great matchup for the Auburn defense. And if the best that you have to do against Zach Calzada is keep everything in front of you as a secondary, the guy's going to make the mistakes for you. I don't think that you have to do a whole lot to really pressure him into mistakes because just look at his last two stat lines against South Carolina and Missouri. He's batting 50% against those teams in completion percentage, touchdown a to pick in like 130 yards.
0: Woo! It's
2: not great. The only thing that concerns me for this game is Jalen Weidermeyer, the Texas A&M tight end. Auburn has struggled to cover the tight end so far this year, and he might be the best in the country. So that's a little bit of a concern, but, again, I still still think it's going to be a situation where Auburn's going to stop the run and they're going to say – Zach Calzada come beat us and I don't think he's going to be able to do that
1: and it helps to have Owen Papo back to be mm-hmm. able to cover a tight end the player that they've been right. missing in their pass coverage to be able to stop tight ends he's the athlete that you need at that level to be able to keep up but you're right looking at where targets are concerned for this AM team wide receiver Anais Smith and tight end Jalen Weidermeyer overwhelmingly those guys get most of the targets on this team Anaya Smith lines up in the slots you're going to either be attacking a nickelback or if you made the foolish decision to put a linebacker on him you will be attacking a linebacker hey don't laugh hey, Tennessee put a tight end or not a tight end put a linebacker on Jamison Williams of all people Oh man, <laughs> and that ended up being a touchdown and then Jalen Watermeyer of course as well who 40 percent of the time lines up in the slot 60 percent of the time lines up attached to the line of scrimmage so you're right I mean they're going to attack that portion of the field which
3: has been a concern for Auburn, but it's also great
1: to have Papo back.
3: Something that one of our callers said the other day is that A&M's as talented as Alabama and Georgia. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, But as you mentioned, Noah, Owen Papo's back in this game to most likely cover Jalen Weidermeyer. So my question to you as Christian, how often do you think we would potentially see man in this game for somebody like Papo to cover Weidermeyer? Or do you think it's going to be a lot of zone? Because Auburn Auburn thinks that A&M is as talented as some of these premier teams in the SEC, and they want to just kind of cover all of the holes if possible.
2: You know, I think it's going to be a little bit more zone. Um, I mean, that's kind of what Derek Mason likes to lean towards anyway more of a zone you can you know you can have Papo get it a little bit you can have the safeties smoke by Darius um, Zion Puckett if he's able to go on Saturday so I'd expect to see a little more zone if we do see man I would probably expect to see Owen Papo line up on Weidermeyer but I would expect to see a little more zone
1: another thing that people like to bring up about this AM team and why I think folks are betting their way right now because the line's up to four and a half for the Aggies the defense and defense right now I believe it is 3rd in the SEC. I will find that right now in conference play points allowed per game it is. They are 3rd in the SEC and conference play points allowed per game at 22.4, but Auburn is 4th with 24 allowed per game. And then some folks will say, well these guys defend the run very well. And my question is, do they actually do they really do they
3: actually stop the run well because there has been five games this year where they have been absolutely gashed on the ground in sec play they're giving up 108 rushing yards per game but like you mentioned there have been those instances so far this season where they have given up a lot of rushing yards and not only that they've given it up to not just sec teams but Kent state throw them in there as well the
1: maxion <laughs> run the football golden flash exactly or golden flashes can't remember if that's plural or not, but Kent State had 226 rushing yards. Now, granted, that was week one, but since that time, Colorado 171, Arkansas 197, and Alabama 153. There are some not-so-good football teams in there. It's a one-dimensional football teams of that. I think that's what's striking about this. There are three one-dimensional football teams that I just mentioned. Kent State, Colorado, and Arkansas. Those teams are not great at throwing the football. A&M knew straight up what those teams wanted to do, and they couldn't stop it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I would be hard-pressed to pick too many more defenses over Auburn's right now. I mean, they're playing fantastic. They shut down Matt Corral. They shut down Ole Miss, which felt impossible going into the game. I mean, the adjustments that they're making at halftime, I don't know what Derek Mason is doing at halftime, but it's been working. I mean, that defense has just been dominant in the second half recently. Of course, they
1: have been able to overcome injuries. They've been able to overcome guys missing right now what does the availability report look like for Auburn that you know of
2: yeah so the two guys that were missing on Saturday and Caleb Johnson and Romello Height I would still probably expect them to be out this weekend Zion Puckett we don't really have an injury update status on him I don't think it's overly serious he probably will be able to go on Saturday but I can't tell you that for certain Um, his coaching staff is pretty quiet in terms of injuries and saying giving updates on them
1: yeah they'll just flat out tell you we're not gonna tell you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> unless it's season ending they've been pretty good about telling you if yes, it's season yeah. ending but I'm trying to think is Auburn even really had a season ending injury yet this year
2: um outside of like Jeremiah Wright in the preseason yeah. no
1: which is another huge blessing this team stayed relatively healthy this year for the most part I mean some guys have gotten banged up and you've had to play through some nicks and bruises but and Bo Nix was dealing with a shoulder injury but for the most part now everybody's back healthy I want to ask you about the receiving core really quick what do you think about how this group has changed they're starting to catch the football what do you think about the guys that are appearing talk about a player that started the year but we really haven't seen a whole lot of him since he got hurt to Johnson seems like the rotations changed a little bit
2: yeah I mean I think this coaching staff really even more than the receivers I think the coaching staff has just made some adjustments and they're using their personnel a little bit better They're not throwing it up to them for kind of one-on-one balls because they realized we don't have a guy that can go up there and get it as much. So Mm -hmm. they're spreading the ball around, using a ton of different receivers, using different tight ends, not even just John Samuel Shanker. Um, They're using the running backs in the passing game more. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Mike Bobo for that and Eric Keesaw as well, the new wide receivers coach, for realizing what they have at wide receiver and changing things around a little bit.
1: 30 minutes through, hour number one of the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with more on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and
1: Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, speaking with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com here on the Thursday edition of the show. Been breaking down Auburn basketball, Auburn football as well. We'll continue to talk about that throughout the show. We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Christian, we've talked a little Auburn basketball recruiting, Auburn football recruiting. Darius Clemens' name is a name that comes up a little bit. What else is going on in the recruiting trail with Mr. Clemens and the others?
2: Yeah, the landscape has shifted a little bit as of recently because, you know, Darius Clemens was that top wide receiver target for Auburn. They really wanted to pull him out of Oregon, and Auburn felt like they had an opportunity and a really good opportunity at that to do that. Unfortunately, some things happened where Oregon lost two of their wide receiver commits because they were, I think they had five, and they lost two of them getting flipped one to Oklahoma, one to Arkansas. And now it seems like the home state team is going to be able to reel in Darius Clemens. So Auburn has kind of shifted their focus a little bit. Instead, they're looking at Antonio Williams, a wide receiver, a four-star wide receiver out of South Carolina. And Mike Bobo has been on him for a while. Honestly, I think Antonio Williams might be a better receiver than Darius Clemens right now. I think Darius Clemens has that bigger frame because he is like six four, So he's a go-up-and-get-it guy, and that's really what's attractive and what makes him so highly rated. Antonio Williams can go up and get it, but he's fantastic after the catch too. So... Auburn's fighting really hard for him. If they can get him, I I mean, I still view it as a success at wide receiver. I think Jay Fair is highly underrated. Omari Kelly has been good. If they choose to put Colby Albert at receiver, he'll be good. And then they still want to hit the portal um, probably after the season for a veteran wide receiver as well. So, you know, things shifted around a little bit. They changed, but Auburn's still in a good spot at receiver. Um, Some other guys to keep an eye on, Jadarian Rim. uh, He's an LSU cornerback commit. He was just in for this past weekend's game. He'll be back for the Iron Bowl for an official visit, as will Antonio Williams for an official for the Iron Bowl as well, actually. But I think Auburn has a really good chance there to flip him. You know, keeping looking at the running backs a little bit. Auburn I wouldn't say adding a second running back is at the top of the to-do list, but if something were to pop up, Auburn will be very interested in Travante Citizen, the LSU running back commit. I expect him to stay with LSU, but you know, if Auburn wants a second running back, Justin Williams, who's a West Virginia commit, if Auburn offers him, I think they can get him. So, you know, things are shifting around a little bit in recruiting, but Auburn really likes where it stands as we get ever so close to signing day. It's really kind of creeping up on me now that I think about it.
1: Yeah, it's not that far. December's only a month away. You've got about a month and a half, a month and 20 days, something like that. Well, that would be Christmas. Wow. I can't believe that. We're a month and twenty days away from Christmas. A month and twenty-one days. Happy holidays, everybody! <laughs> are you listening to Christmas? Are you listening to Christmas music yet, guys? No, I am. No, I just put up Christmas lights in my apartment last night. Really, really? I nice. haven't done
2: that yet, but you know, I don't mind some Mariah Carey here and there.
1: Okay. I, hey, I like this guy. This guy, this guy knows what it is.
2: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, i listen to Christmas
3: music. It's not like I absolutely hate it, but there are some songs that I just won't won't listen to, and there are some songs that I will listen to a lot more than others. Like uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big George Michael guy. I enjoy some of his you like music. some wham. I do like some wham. Yeah. So uh, last Christmas uh, is is probably one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, Christmas songs. Uh, Obviously, everybody and their mother likes uh, the Mar- Mariah Carey song. Have you heard the version with uh, My Chemical Romance's Welcome to the Black Parade mixed in with it? It's a... Uh, it's I think an, you just I've lost not. me and Christian. It's an interesting okay. listen. It's all, an interesting all listen. I'll look into it. It's, it's, that's, I'm saying that as more of a joke, uh, but it, but it is an entertaining listen. Um, yeah. Anywho, uh, yeah, Christmas music. I'm not like a big hater of it. Like, it. I'm not like one of those people that's like, oh, I can't stand it, but I will listen to it whenever... December comes around after Thanksgiving. Uh, Until then, I'm enjoying Thanksgiving and I'm enjoying like uh, football and all the different things What's your favorite
1: Thanksgiving song
3: then? (sighs) Wasn't there – isn't – There's not one. That's that's why you should be listening to Christmas music. Wasn't Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer originally a Thanksgiving song? Am Am I thinking of a different one? There was, there is a popular Christmas song that was initially actually a uh, song about Thanksgiving.
2: I think you look it up. I think you're just making stuff up. I'm, I'm not. I'll go. I'll go look it up. I'll go look it up.
1: <laughs> well, we're Team Christmas on this side of the studio. It, it, just going back to recruiting real quick, right. though. Yes. <laughs> it seems like Auburn's trying to flip guys right now. That that's been a, a oh.
2: heavy part of their strategy. Yeah, they're flipping a lot. They want. Uh, I mentioned Jadarian Rim. You know, they're looking at. Uh, Tay Woody. Tate Woody. Um, they're looking at Robert Woodyard, an Alabama linebacker commit, and they've been on him for a while. Um, Is
1: Woodyard at Thompson?
2: Is that He's Mobile, Okay, down in Mobile. I don't know exactly which high school. I apologize, but it's somewhere down Well, there's down a million Mobile, of them so, down there. Yeah, so he's somewhere down there. Um, there's a ton of different guys that they're trying to flip, to be honest, as they try and finish off this class. Um, I still expect Auburn to try and sign probably around 19 to 20 or so, and then hit the portal. There's going to be Fans might panic a little bit, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that end up transferring out of Auburn after this year. But I think that's just culture. Yeah, it's that a little bit. It's guys that thought they had a chance to play, but with this new coaching staff, maybe they just didn't, things didn't work out or whatnot. So I think. We're going to see a decent amount of roster attrition going into next year, but I don't think it's something that fans should really panic about.
1: It's the last little bit of the wave of this culture getting established, the guys Mm -hmm. who thought they had a chance, like you said, and then maybe things didn't pan out the way that they wanted Mm -hmm. it to with this coaching staff. They gave it a shot, and it didn't work out, and then those guys are gone. This is the last part of the weed out course you know what i'm saying like you get into college and you you think things are going well for the first little bit you're like yeah i'll give this major a shot you get to the weed out course then bang you're out (laughs) that's that's kind of like what this appears to be i guess if you're expecting a lot of transfers coming out of the auburn program Uh, anything else on the
3: recruiting trail lance you got something no you finish up your thoughts and then we'll come briefly back to the christmas song thing i I, want to point something out
2: (laughs) okay uh the only other thing i really have is that auburn wants about 80% of this class or so to sign during the early enroll uh, time period. Um, So that way they can go through spring practice and have those guys. Um, And as of right now, most of the guys that they've committed do want to be an early enrollee. So they should be able to hit that mark.
3: Uh, I would uh, say that also Please Come Home for Christmas by the Eagles is probably uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs. I was literally in the womb for two Eagles concerts. That's not a joke. And then Jingle Bells, I looked it up, was actually uh, written originally for Thanksgiving. How so? Uh, it, good question. Uh, it was written by James Lord Pierpont uh, and was initially, um, it was initially written as a Thanksgiving song. I could probably...
1: We'll just thinking about the bit.
3: lyrics, how? That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm thinking. But anyway, it's just a random fact. If you want to call in and tell us about your favorite Christmas song, 334-321-1390. Three, 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 one, Give us your thoughts.
1: College football playoff rankings. Everybody was mad. <laughs> were you one of them?
2: This is going to be a hot take. I was not.
1: Neither was I, other than Oregon. Oregon, I was love, little... But you're a big Oregon guy. You're, you're an it, Oregon fan, okay, so you were happy.
2: Yeah, I'm a little bit of an Oregon fan, but I, I don't disagree with you there, I think. That was a little bit lucky that they got in. Um, Alabama doesn't bother me. If Alabama wins out, they're in anyway. Who cares if they're at 2 or they're at 10? They would have found their way into the playoff if they went out. And if they don't, don't, they're not going to be in. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cincinnati, I understand that they should probably be in the top four. Should they? But I don't think Cincinnati is good.
1: Thank you. So So they shouldn't be
2: in the top four. I think they might have, in my opinion, I think they might have earned it and earned that opportunity. But I just don't know if Cincinnati really is worth the time, I guess I should say. I just don't think right. they're a good team.
3: I agree with Christian. I, I think when you look at these playoff rankings, I think something that I'm asking myself is – what is this team's best win looking at individual teams? So like for Michigan State, obviously it's the win over Michigan. For Alabama, I mean, I guess it, it, it's, it's Ole Miss, but outside of that their schedule hasn't been very good. For Georgia, it's a number of teams. For Oregon, it's Ohio State. And then for Cincinnati, it's, it's that win over Notre Dame earlier on in the season. You look at some of the teams above them and around them, and I'm like, I, I'm okay with six, but moving them up to four, I, th- I would not be mad at as well.
1: Bill Cameron yesterday on The Drive said this. He said, these rankings showed you how important the eye test is. And for me, that's always how I've gone about ranking teams is literally, who do I think is better when I'm scrubbing through these teams? Who do I believe are the four best teams in the country? And that's been the motto. That's been the thing that these committee members have always fallen back on Every single year, when they're getting grilled on ESPN after they've released the rankings, they always send one dude as tribute, and that dude has to answer the questions. And his best thing that he exactly he's I don't know some dude in the back room was the was the tilted scale tilted the scales for us to put Oregon in at four. I, I didn't want him there, but he's having to he's having to answer for the committee's rankings. And what they always go to is as their blanket cop-out answer, but I also think it's true, these are the four best teams that we believe. And I don't think at the end, when it's all said and done, when we've gotten these playoffs and those are the four teams that we've ended with, I think they've gotten it right. Yep. So at this point, and I like that you said, if Alabama wins out, who cares if they're 2 or 10 right now? At the end of the day, the way that this process works, we don't have the whole picture yet. All we have is nine weeks of the college football season right now, and based off of what we've gotten out of the nine weeks of the college football season, this is what they've presented us with. We just like to talk about it because it's heavily publicized. It's all over TV, and it's fun to talk about, but the reality of it is I don't think they've gotten the playoff wrong once, at least with the four teams that they've put in.
2: I would agree with that. I mean, I certainly think, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example, and I really can't. I think they've been perfectly fine.
3: These initial rankings, though, I think still are going to frustrate some people. But like you said, I think at the end, at the end of the day, the product's fine. Like, for instance, like the the Mississippi State ranking, and they could just excuse it, be like, well, Billy had a little too much to gr- drink, and he put Mississippi State at two. So, I mean, it, it factors out to where they're 17th, and we don't really know how to explain that, but they're there anyway. So, I think you'll look down the line here in just a few weeks, and you'll start to see the playoff kind of sort itself out i guess and i think you'll start to see maybe oregon get jumped by ohio state if ohio state's able to pick up a couple of big wins in the big 10 uh, over the course of the the last few games of the season we'll yeah see i what wonder
1: happens. what that divide is like between oregon and ohio state because mm-hmm. i we all understand the logic of why oregon is ranked there above ohio state they right. beat them that game has to matter if you rank ohio state at four and oregon at five Think about all the gripes people are going to be giving about, does the season even matter? They, they beat them on the, on the field, you know? Like, you're going to be hearing stuff like that. And so, I get Oregon being ranked at four over Ohio State at five, but how thin or how wide is that divide between those two teams? Because you look at the remaining schedule – Oregon's is filled with a bakery of cupcakes and Ohio State's is filled with some really tough football teams and currently a few teams that are ranked inside the top 10 one of which inside the top three
3: I wonder how many bags of cupcakes Darius Clemens got to potentially get at <laughs> Oregon instead of McDonald's don't be like that I'm joking I'm joking and then also a team like Oklahoma who's eighth right now I mean they have still got three or two ranked uh, matchups left on their schedule they could find their way back into the mix later on so I think everything's going to even itself out but right now I mean it's a it's an interesting poll
2: to say the least. Don't forget about America's team, Wake Forest. Yeah, Wake Forest. Oh. I
1: thought you were about to say Army. No. <laughs> Earlier during our commercial break, I said Army hung forty nine or fifty six or whatever it was on Wake Forest. Humility. You said America's team, and I really thought you were talking about Army because it's
2: well the United yes.
1: States Military Academy. <laughs> no,
3: yes. no, no. Wake Forest
2: is it? All respect to the troops, but Wake Forest is America's team. <laughs>
1: I was listening to a video that Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports, he put it out, and he was doing his, his show, what is it, Late Kick? With Late with, Kick,
3: One of my, probably my favorite
2: show to watch, by the way.
1: So, I was listening to him to talk about this, and he said that Auburn controls their destiny more than Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that?
2: Yeah, probably so. I think Wake Forest doesn't have a ton of great opponents still left, and if Auburn wins out, there in the playoff. That's
1: and And likewise, you say that they Auburn don't wins. have a ton of great opponents left, which is true, The toughest part of the Wake Forest schedule is now upon them. They have to play Boston College. They have to play Florida State or Louisville, one of the two. They have to play Clemson. The better teams. They have to play NC State. They have to play the better teams. North Carolina this week, too.
2: Yeah. North Carolina is favored. So, uh, yes, Auburn definitely controls its fate even more than Wake Forest. If Auburn wins out, they are in the playoff. If Wake Forest wins out, they might not be in the playoff. So, just crazy to think about that
1: a Power Five team. And the ACC's been horrible. You could kind of make an argument that that's
3: not even really been like a Power 5 conference this year, at least the way that they've played. It's not really played like it. And you were saying the most difficult stretch of their their schedule is upon them. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man – North Carolina, Clemson, Boston College—I mean, NC State too. It's not like it's like the most daunting thing on the planet. But it's, but it's the, the losable. Best they, it, It's losable, but it's the best the ACC has to offer at this point, I think. So yeah, absolutely. I think they can lose a couple of these games. They could lose this weekend, like you mentioned, uh, Christian. They're favored by two and a half points. Are the Tar Heels so?
1: How thin do you think the divide is between Oregon and Ohio State?
2: Uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's probably pretty thin. If Ohio State wins out they'll probably jump Oregon even if Oregon wins out because Ohio State is just going to have some better wins on their resume compared to Oregon, which Oregon fans are going to be upset about. People will probably be upset about just that are not fans of either team as well, but that's just kind of the way it goes. I think Ohio State is probably a better team than Oregon despite the head-to-head and what happened earlier in the season.
1: Also say this, if Ohio State wins out, say goodbye to Michigan and Michigan State if Oregon wins out as well you would be looking at georgia, oregon, and ohio state, i think for sure as locks. say georgia wins out, oregon, ohio state, those would be locks mm-hmm. inside the top 4. and then you've got to figure out how to sort through potentially a one-loss michigan state, cincinnati, does oklahoma go undefeated because at this point they've got cincinnati above oklahoma by two spots. so they that that may be them telling you that they believe in cincinnati more than oklahoma at this point, but we know how quickly that can change. But based off of what we've got at this point, if results stand, you're going to have an SEC team, you're going to have Oregon and Ohio State, and then you're going to have one more spot to fill, potentially by another SEC team if Georgia were to get upset in the SEC championship by an Alabama or an Auburn. Mm-hmm. There, there's still a lot to be shaken out. But at this point, that gap between Cincinnati and the top four,
2: that's huge to me. And I was happy,
1: like you were, to see this. I was not mad. I
2: was not mad. I didn't understand. I mean, people were really upset about it. Like, watch watch a Cincinnati game. They struggled against Tulane, who's like one in seven, one in eight, or whatever it is now. One in seven. Yeah, I I do not think Cincinnati is all that good. The Green
1: yeah. Wave is more like a green ripple. It's not. <laughs> it's not delightful.
2: It's also like great. They beat Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame is all that good either. No. Like, I don't know. I don't believe in the Cincinnati team. They're probably not going to end up in the playoff.
1: everybody freaking out to these rankings, like you said. It didn't matter if Alabama was 2 or 10. Teams win, it's going to shake out. There's still a month of football, and it's November. I mean, I think back to when the BCS time was around, and you don't just walk into Ames, Iowa, and expect to win, and Oklahoma State (laughs) ruined their best chance ever at a national championship appearance, you know. And that was how we got a not-so-great national championship back then. I think that was the year that opened it up for – was that the year that Alabama and LSU played, or was that the year that – alabama and notre dame played either or neither of those championships were great to watch so point is november's crazy stuff happens this is not the the college football playoff rankings are not going to look like this in four weeks it's going to look vastly different yeah so let's talk about that when we come back which teams do we think on the outside that maybe aren't inside that top eight top 10 range could crash the party at, after a month and i think a lot of people would say locally uh their team wearing orange and blue could have a pretty good shot to do it we'll be back with more of on the line of the other side of this break you're on the line with noah gardner and Lance Dawn, espn 1067 in fox sports central alabama christian clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the thursday edition of the show if you want to call in if you've got questions for us if you got comments you got takes we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 is the number to call christian What's the story of the week? We'll say locally first, Auburn Athletics, what's the story of the week?
2: Oh, man, uh, probably a big trip to Texas a with the chance to you know, keep rolling and keep controlling your own destiny. I would say that, or you know, basketball season is upon us. I guess I would go with those two.
3: What do you think we will look like on Monday if Auburn wins this game, Noah? What will, what will our, our knee-jerk reaction be? Because I know what mine will be. It won't
1: be a knee jerk reaction. I mean, you were talking about this on the way back from lunch. The words team of destiny have been uttered in the last week about this Auburn team. There's some people maybe attributing what Auburn's doing right now to, oh, they're just getting hot. We've called it peak auburnness earlier this year when they were getting ready to play Georgia. I don't think that's the case with this team. You know who this team reminds me of a little bit more than a 2013 or a team of destiny like they're getting by on flukes. This team reminds me of 2017. They're going about their business. They're just better than the teams they're playing. Every week when they win, they're just better. And I think this is another week where Auburn is just better than the team they're playing. And they're playing better than them. They look better than them. And I think from top to do- from top to bottom they're better than them. I, think I don't
2: go ahead. I was just going to say I think they're getting coached better too. I think the coaches and the coaching staff in general deserves a ton of credit. We talked about the receivers a little bit. Auburn figured out what they have at receiver. They stopped throwing jump balls to Shedrick Jackson like they were (laughs) earlier in the year. Defensively, Derek Mason, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. Whatever he's doing at halftime, keep doing it. It's working. They're an incredible second-half defense right now. Coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. Players deserve a lot of credit. They're showing up and they're showing out these past couple weeks.
1: And so my point is I'm expecting this to happen on Saturday just like you are and just like you are I'm expecting Auburn to go out there and win of course AM could beat Auburn it's college football it's in the SEC it's at their place I'm not closing the door on that I'm not saying without a doubt Auburn's gonna win 100 to zero that's not what's gonna happen <laughs> but I'm confident and I expect Auburn to win these games because I believe this Auburn team is good and as Christian's pointed out, they're extremely well coached. Right. So I'm expecting Auburn to go out there and win on Saturday. I'm expecting them to beat Mississippi State. I'm expecting them to beat South Carolina and set up a massive Iron Bowl.
3: I'm just saying my knee-jerk re- reaction will be SEC Championship. and, yeah. and Taking be,
1: that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking that barrier. Yep. I don't know if I'll go that far, but because I don't know if I'd qualify a as that good either. We'll keep talking about that. Hour number two coming up here on On the Line.
0: are on the line. Five oh two. hour number
1: two of on the line noah gardner lance Dahl, christian clemente of auburnsports.com with you for the thursday edition of the show man christian two hours with you this is good hope we're not crashing your parade today
2: no or i'm tomorrow. happy i'm happy to be here i'm just i'm a little sad it is thursday and i can't do my uh saturday selections unfortunately oh, that's true man. but we
3: don't even know what our records and picks are yet I I think I'm still, and I abandoned the NFL for this week. Yeah, I think I'm still (laughs) a game behind Sting, though.
1: Correction: I have excused the NFL picks from the show this week, just like Odell Beckham Jr. has been excused from practice by the Cleveland
3: Browns. Yeah, I I I wrote about that earlier in the week, and I was just like, "Yeah, he's done. He's done." Well, I'm I'm curious to see who, where, what, what team picks him up after uh, he gets released.
1: I just don't want to see him release him. Don't, don't just let a guy go we well, yeah, can
3: get I, something for I him. Saw well, a report. You, the, the trade deadline's over it's right? over yeah
2: well i saw a report that they'd be willing to just hold him because they don't want to release him and that they just, just want to not wait. let him
3: play
1: no. and just pay <laughs> him to not play essentially yes wow. so i hate that i i hate that but nothing but it's been a little bit of a headache with odell beckham jr in cleveland <laughs> it's been a little bit of a headache trying to remember what I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah, are you going to catch a parade tomorrow? Is that the change in plans? No, I'm not not going to
2: the parade. To be honest, like...
1: Wink twice if you're going to the parade.
2: (laughs) No, I'm I'm honestly not going to the parade. Um, (laughs) Like, I I enjoy celebrating, but a parade is not something that I would see myself partaking in personally. I understand. I agree.
3: Yeah, uh, also, just on a random side note, uh, normally we do making headlines in this segment, but if we're going to talk about a headline here uh intern belichick and i were talking about this during the break uh tennessee will not self-impose a bowl ban on themselves this season after uh handing out mcdonald's last year and i'm i made the crack as like it's like yeah tennessee ain't missing the tax layer bowl for nothing like <laughs> let's go
1: i do think that's an interesting thing to bring up here that i would like to talk about with you guys because we all saw what happened with oklahoma state earlier this week mm-hmm. tennessee's got a chance to go to a bowl game you can get to six and six over their last four games they get to play Kentucky this weekend which I think is a very winnable ball game with the way that that UK offense is playing you'll get decapitated by Georgia the next week but the last two games are all winnable South Alabama and Vanderbilt those two alone can get you to six you could be at seven with a win over Kentucky and possibly even with where they stand right now no I don't think Kentucky's losing another one never mind I was thinking that if Tennessee beat Kentucky, they would be able to even move up as high as second in the standings, but that won't be the case because Tennessee will lose to Georgia, and that will put them at four, and Kentucky will finish with three losses. So you can finish with potentially in third or fourth place in the SEC East. Why would you put a bowl ban on yourself? If you're going to get punished at some point, maybe you'd say this year's the year to do it because you're only going to go to a bowl game for a six and six football team but there also may be there there may not be a guarantee that you get a bowl ban at some point but then there's also the Oklahoma State men's basketball program that just got a postseason knock on them for stuff that seems to be a little bit less than this
2: yeah I mean I just think it's it's really tough to penalize current players for issues that occurred before I don't have an answer to that like I don't know what else you could necessarily do to are we talking about program? tennessee here or
1: oklahoma state or uh, just, both? just kind of both yeah. like because tennessee had 25 guys transfer since last october these really are a different crop of players than what was there with the sins of the past were committed they yeah. said
3: you know what i'm not really feeling the mcdonald's today man let me go get some chick-fil-a and they just transferred out there we gone. going
1: What do you think of this Oklahoma State situation? I don't totally understand what's going on there because Oklahoma State's been caught up in several different investigations, it seems like, from a basketball perspective. Mm -hmm. And this one, they were like, well, nothing happened, so why aren't we getting a postseason ban? But they also were caught up in... The 2017 investigation by the FBI. They've been caught up in a lot of different things, just like Louisville has, and, and amongst some other teams. So like, do you understand what's going on here? I know you cover Auburn, but do you understand
2: what's going on? I'll be honest, I haven't followed it quite as closely. Um, I knew the whole kind of situation last year with Kate Cunningham, and they were able to petition and get their way into March Madness last year. Um, through the appeal process. Yes, through the appeals, and then this year they did get the ban. That's about as far as I know. I don't know the whole issue or anything like that. I just find it really tough to penalize current players for issues that occurred in the past personally.
1: Now let's translate that to Auburn then, because nobody knows when the NCAA is going to say anything about Auburn basketball. Nobody knows if there's even a notice of allegations inside the program because the university hasn't reported that. And so really all we know is what has been reported. And that was about the FBI investigation. Chuck Person's not even in jail to my knowledge, and then all of that stuff didn't even, like, it, the money was, wasn't it paid back? Like, all, all of that stuff that happened, like, had nothing to do with Auburn getting guys on campus, with Auburn winning basketball games. They sat those guys out for a year and a half. I mean, they, they, took, they took a postseason ban they last a postseason ban. year. They
2: took postseason ban. They had uh, scholarships that they personally removed as well. So, I think Auburn has paid their dues, personally. I think it would be kind of absurd for the NCAA to add on to that with something else. But... Unless there's
1: you, more that we don't know
2: about. Yeah. Um, I'm, you just never know with the NCAA, though. Yeah.
1: Of course, we've seen some positive instances where I think you can say, well, if the, if the NCAA is consistent, you say what well, happened with South Carolina, I think maybe USC was another team mm-hmm. that basically just got slaps on the wrist. Nothing, Basically nothing happened to them. They're just on probation. It's basically the NCAA saying, we're watching you, right? Right. If Almer got that, then I think you're you're happy, right? Because of all the stuff that you said earlier happened in the past, you know what I mean? But then there's... Oklahoma State who's now got to sit out of postseason and so you hope that the NCAA shows some consistency with the other ones rather than giving you what happened with Oklahoma State
3: right another thing here uh, spe- <sighs> uh keeping on the topic uh, of Auburn related things and positive things in the Auburn uh Auburn athletics world I've seen some SEC Coach of the Year talk kind of been being thrown around, and I'm just looking at a headline right now talking about Brian Harson potentially being the favorite to win SEC Coach of the Year. Is that what we're looking at right now with Mark Stoops having taken a second loss?
2: Originally I would have given it to Stoops, yes, but I think there's an opportunity there for Brian Harson to get it. Um, I think they're playing their way into that as a possibility. People are not going to like my answer here. Are you saying Kirby? Yep. Well, yeah.
1: I think it should be Kirby Smart and a lot of times coach of the year awards you kind of stray away from giving it to the coach who was dominant the coach who just ran the table because you're like oh they were supposed to do that you wanted to give it to a guy like Stoops or Brian Harsin who obviously did a great coaching job and added something to the program that wasn't there before but I also think you could say Kirby Smart's done that this year right right he could be about to break
3: through If Auburn wins the Iron Bowl, does uh does Harson get coach of the year?
1: I definitely think that he should very much so be in that conversation with Kirby Smart. I think those are the two coaches that you look at. If Auburn wins out, I think you should give it to Brian Harson or Kirby Smart. Now, if Brian Harson wins out and when when is that award given? Is it given after the SEC championship game? I'm not sure. If it's given after the after I think so, because that's when you've got the Heisman and everything that's handed out. And so if that award is given out after the SEC championship and Auburn, whoever wins the SEC championship, if it's – say Auburn does make it, it, whoever wins that game I think should get the award. I think that's fair. Now, if Alabama makes it and wins
3: it, do you give it to Nick Saban? Saban's not winning coach of the year. At least he wouldn't in my mind because of how undisciplined Alabama's played as opposed to years past. If I agree with you. If we're talking about coaching and like being dominant and being consistent, it should go to Kirby Smart if he wins the SEC. So
1: say that Alabama runs the table, say that Auburn's only loss from here out is to Alabama and Auburn finishes 9-3 overall. Mm-hmm. Alabama wins the SEC championship. I don't think you give it to Kirby Smart. Mm-hmm. You're saying don't give it to Nick Saban. Right. Now it's down to giving it to Mark Stoops or Brian Harson again under that scenario. And I would give it to Brian Harson over Mark Stoops. I agree. Especially considering I think Kentucky's probably going to lose this weekend to Tennessee.
3: Yeah, I agree. And again, it's it's just in a normal year, Alabama would would receive that award, Nick Saban would, but that's for it's for coaching. And we've just seen so many different issues with Alabama this year that we don't typically see under Nick Saban And so Seeing a a program like Auburn emerge with without expectations, or seeing a program like like Georgia with Kirby Smart, they're playing more discipline than Alabama. I just think that it's either Harson or
2: Kirby at this point. You're not giving it to Coach O. No, no, not on the way out. <laughs> oh, okay, I guess he's he's out of the list. Then where does Sam Pittman
1: so, uh, fall on this? I know he's at the bottom of the SEC West now. Go figure that falls. that's what that would happen, but. He has added a lot to the Arkansas program and Arkansas schedule is relatively easy down the stretch here aside from the Alabama game. They just beat up on Arkansas Pine Bluff quietly, but you've got Mississippi State, LSU, Alabama and Missouri as your last four. Honestly, Arkansas should
3: finish three and one over those four games to finish the year eight and four and much higher than last in the SEC West. If Arkansas goes eight and four and Sam Pittman wins coach of the year and Auburn goes eight and four or nine and three, I will riot. I will riot. And that that is a little bit of bias there personally cuz again it comes back to coaching and then for me specifically it's that it's that Auburn beat Sam Pittman yeah. yeah so
1: that's a fair point. I was also about to say though too the counterpoint to that is if you take out that head-to-head matchup not I know that you can't ignore the fact that Auburn beat them but Mm -hmm. if you're looking at these programs under a microscope and the history of them and where they've come from over the last couple of years Auburn would have been an eight and four team last year had it been a normal season based off of the results that they had in SEC play even if they went three and one and lost to North Carolina in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game They would have been eight and four. So then if Auburn finishes eight and four this year, you might someone could outside of the program ask the question, I mean, all of us know that Auburn has taken that next step, but outside someone might make the someone might make the point, did Auburn really take a
3: step forward under Brian Harson? Did he do anything right. that Malzahn didn't do? And I wonder how much preseason expectations come into play here because I feel like a lot. both of these two teams we're kind of projected around the same area, right? Six and six, seven and five, five and seven, somewhere around there. Uh, so you could factor in things that have happened in the past with, with Auburn. And then you could also factor in preseason expectations for both of these teams. So I, I would say overall candidates for SEC Coach of the Year Kirby Smart, Brian Harson, Mark Stoops, Nick Saban, Sam Pittman. I think we're looking at those five coaches right now and uh and the
1: last two are a little bit further down right, than the, the other. and, and there are a
3: couple on that list that i don't think have a true shot to uh to get there
1: kirby smart is my pick right now kirby or brian harson
2: right now i would go kirby but if auburn wins out you gotta go brian harson goes brian harson yeah. lance
3: same it's, thing yeah i would agree and then also uh staying on the topic of, uh, of coaching
1: kirby did win it in 17 by the way just saying which would lend a hand that if he won out I
3: would imagine they would do the same thing over again because that year was a year where everybody thought maybe Georgia broke through. Go ahead. You briefly touched on this earlier in the show, Noah, talking about Dan Mullen. Some other headlines I was looking at earlier in terms of SEC coaching. Dan Mullen is one of the guys apparently on the hot seat, according to uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. You told me earlier that you'd disagree with that a little bit. Uh, Why do you disagree with Mullen being on the hot seat this early? It's just
1: one year right he's been so good all of the other years where you could say sure there might be a head-scratching loss here or there but he's added something substantial to the Florida program since he took over for Jim McElwain he goes 10-3 and in his first season which was better than I think most people were expecting them to do in 2018 he finishes seventh in the AP poll wins the Peach Bowl the next year he wins the Orange Bowl finishes sixth in the AP poll, goes 11-2, 6-2. Last year, he gets them over the hump in the East in an all-SEC season, and he gets them to the SEC championship, and he's one touchdown away from winning it. Of course, the Cotton Bowl was horrendous against Oklahoma. There's really not a lot that you could do to excuse there. But his first three seasons in charge at Florida, he finishes 7th in the AP poll, 6th, and 13th. He's got a 33 and 13 overall record. He's 21 and 11 in conference play. He's beaten Georgia. He's gotten him to an SEC championship. All he hasn't done is win that SEC championship game. That's it. And I just don't think that Florida should be looking to move on from Dan Mullen just that quickly. I just don't think that they should be doing that. I understood moving on from McElwain. There was something a little bit different about that because that was a Florida team that was going 8 and 4 to SEC championships and they were getting blown out in in, in the games where they clearly weren't as talented but that's not the case with Dan Mullen right now I mean this year it's not gone well but the first three years it's gone well for Dan Mullen I think you can clearly see that he has done something to add to the program compared to his predecessors
2: yeah I mean I would agree with that I I'm not a huge Dan Mullen fan I think he neither am I I think he makes his life a lot more difficult especially with like comments like this week oh it's not recruiting season I can't talk about recruiting Which,
1: we all know, is not true. You cover recruiting year round.
2: Yeah, Brian Harson will talk about recruiting. He'll you can't reference the players, but he'll talk about hey, we need to bring in guys and they're important for our future and stuff like that. So I think Dan Mullen makes his life a lot more difficult than it needs to be. But I don't think it's fair to put him on the hot seat quite yet.
3: I think there are a lot of fans out there, Florida fans, national media, whoever you want to call people that have eyes on Florida. Their expectations are masked by the reality of which that program currently sits in, which is what you mentioned with Will Muschamp. What was this program before Dan Mullen got here? And now you look at what it is now. He's brought some more consistency to the Florida program. He's brought that back from where Urban Meyer had it early on in the 2000s. Is he recruiting at the level that maybe some Florida fans would want him to? Right now, no. They're ninth in the SEC right now in terms of recruiting rankings, according to 24-7 Sports. But they're going to continue, I believe, under Mullen, to be consistent, and the reason I believe that is because we got to see it for those first three years. This is just one year out of the ordinary. It's very similar, like the Gary Patterson situation. It's like he went like what, like three and nine just a few years ago, and it's like TCU's not going to fire him because the very next year he turned around and went like ten and three or something like that. It's he's brought consistency to that at program. Understand your floor, and understand that your ceiling is much is much higher and more consistently higher with this guy give it time, give it a couple years to truly decide whether or not Mullen's legitimately fallen apart.
1: Last couple of coaches here for Florida since Urban Meyer, Will Muschamp had one season where he had more than 10 wins. Jim McElwain had one season where he had more than 10 wins. Dan Mullen already at this point has had two seasons with 10 wins. And last year, if it was a normal year, mm-hmm. they would have had 10 wins. They only lost two in the right re- in regular season games last year because they were playing am and LSU and I don't even know if they would have played am if um if it wasn't for adding teams to the schedule you already yep. play LSU every year but you take they only had two regular season losses that puts you at 10 and two that would have been the case for Florida last year and then I, I don't know if they lose their bowl game under those circumstances but of course last year it looks uglier because they finished eight and four but last year was a weird year I just think he last year was the peak Of his years at Florida, I felt like maybe you could say the fact that 2019 he went 11 and two and won the Orange Bowl. But here's the reality of it: three straight years, Dan Mullen has taken Florida to a New Year's Six bowl game. He's gone to a Peach Bowl, an Orange Bowl, and a Cotton Bowl. He's two and one in those games, and he's done stuff that over his first three years here he would have been a 10 win coach every single one of those years. Whereas Will Muschamp only did that one time, and Jim McElwain only did that one time and they did it early on in their 10 years, and they fought it up with abysmal years. You gave McElwain two more years after that 10-win season. You gave Muschamp two more years after that season before you moved on. I just don't see how you already put Dan Bullen on the hot seat now when he's already proven more to you than either of those coaches did. The two big games, the two big bowl games that those two coaches got into, Will Muschamp made it to a Sugar Bowl. Lost. Bad to Louisville. Teddy Bridgewater destroyed them. And then you got the Citrus ball with McElwain lost. Barely finished inside the top 25 that year. Dan Mullen has won you some big games. I'd say ride it out. Now, I'm with you, Christian. I, don't, I think he does make his life harder on him. And I think he's good for a, a head-scratching loss every year. He really is. I mean, last year it was LSU. This year, it's LSU. It's LSU. <laughs> I, I don't get it, okay? He's, he's, he's due for some head-scratching losses. I wouldn't be shocked if he lost to South Carolina. And if he were to lose out, if he had a Jim McIlwain type season this year. Oh man. Like if he had that type of end, I would understand moving it on because that's that's inexcusable. Mm-hmm. These are his guys that he's recruited. That's the other side of this. Is we've reached a point now with Jim McIlwain or not Jim McIlwain. Hope it's not that not that way for Dan Mullen. But we've reached this point with Dan Mullen where this is year four. These are clearly the guys that you've recruited. These are clearly the guys that you brought in through the transfer portal. This is your roster now. It shouldn't look like this, and I think that's where people are a little irritated. But also, don't yep. know. It doesn't always. It's not always cookie cutter like that either. They they're breaking in new quarterbacks. Who's to say that these quarterbacks don't end up being absolute beast when
3: it's all said and done? A so mini Dak Prescott on roster.
1: I mean, we're talking about the QB whisperer here. You know, like I, I just think it would be a little. It would be a knee jerk reaction to move on. But of course, you can't go four and eight either. You can't lose out, which I don't think they will. If they get to a bowl game, I think they should retain them. Hold on to them even if it is a seven and six season yeah. Auburn did that with Malzahn and what did he do two years later beat Alabama took him to an SEC championship game yep also a roller coaster of emotions it seemed every year and eventually <sighs> ultimately a decision was made but there were some good years in between and I think Dan Mullen's a better coach than, than Gus Malzahn too and mm-hmm. I think he's got many more resources to work with at Florida that would make sense to not move on from him and this year's coaching carousel doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that you could go and rip some coach from the clutches of another good program and that there isn't any group of five coaches either that I'd feel great about bringing in that would be better than Dan Mullen.
3: That's a question I was going to kind of jokingly ask is let's say Mel Tucker's got his eyes on LSU it would not be easy for Florida to kind of take Mel Tucker away from LSU because if I were Mel Tucker I'd be going to LSU.
1: You know who I would love to see enter the state of Florida as a coach? Mario Cristobal now that would be horrible for other teams around here from a recruiting perspective that's going to put Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure on georgia auburn and alabama who like to go into that northern part of the state of florida but and so really i would prefer if mario cristobal one day ended up at miami because they don't really cross too many they don't cross paths a lot with auburn alabama um, in terms of recruiting but cristobal i think would be really successful at florida state miami or florida i don't know if he'll ever leave oregon but i think that would be very that would be an interesting experiment to see nonetheless let's head to a quick break here you're listening to on the line thursday edition of on the line no saturday selections today it's just thursday we'll do saturday (laughs) selections tomorrow you can look forward to that here on the Friday edition of On the Line. I hate that for you because I know that's your favorite segment of the week, though, Christian.
2: Yeah, I'm really missing out on that. I'll give you guys some words of wisdom real quick, though. You got to bet on America's team in Wake Forest. Don't fall for North Carolina. First off, and second off, Montana State, number four in the FCS, plays at number five Eastern Washington. Bet on the Bobcats. Can we even bet on that game? Can you, Can
3: you like? Can you find like? easily accessible uh, betting betting websites for FCS games?
2: You know, I'll be honest. I don't have the first clue because I don't bet, but I'm sure there is good a Good way. answer. That's a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. Which
3: is why I always like to say, is like I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would take whoever's playing Notre Dame to cover or win all right.
1: Ole Miss just nine-and-a-half-point favorites over the Malik Willis-led Liberty Flames. The week is here. We've been talking about this for months, and now we get to see Liberty Ole Miss this weekend. This is an 11 a.m. kickoff SEC network. It's Ole Miss biting off more than they can chew this
3: weekend, gentlemen. Yes, yes. Look at the stretch of games they have played. Look how beat up they are.
1: But Liberty lost to Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana yeah.
3: Monroe's going to beat LSU. What are you talking about? Is that game this week, too? No, I'm kidding. But they will play later on this year. And I believe ULM's like 4-4, four and 4-5, four, four and five, something, something like that. I'm just, I, I kid. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Ole Miss is definitely going to uh, gonna have to fight in this one a little bit, I think. Now, Liberty's not been playing their best football this season. They, they reserved that all for last year. But Malik Willis is still a very good quarterback, should be one of the top selections in the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, This should be an offensive showdown. At least it should be. I hope it is.
1: Sneakily, Liberty only giving up 17.8 points allowed per game. (laughs) 300 Uh yards allowed per game. Just saying. Uh Uh-oh. It's not all offense with the flames. Are you picking them? No. (laughs) I just don't know what type of structural integrity Matt Corral's ankle has, though, too.
3: And... I would be very close to taking liberty if Matt Corral does not play in this game. If it's Luke Altmaier, then I'm just I'm I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I'm rushing to go uh, to go put some money down because that could get interesting very quickly.
1: But I would not be shocked if this is a good game. I also would not be shocked if an upset occurred. I don't think Malik Willis, all this PFF stuff out there that Malik Willis is QB number one in this draft that drives me insane because I don't think that that's true. Who is? They is, were saying that Malik Willis is QB1 I, in this draft. I know, I'm Like but,
3: what? But who do you think is?
1: I don't know if there is a true QB1 in this I draft. I hate this quarterback draft.
2: We I agree with that. I think Malik is the best of the quarterbacks you think this so? draft though. I think Sell probably. me on it. Sam
3: Howell is not is not up there for you anymore. No. I don't think. Can he
2: pick it? Can he pick it? No. no. It's it's either Matt Corral or Malik Willis, I think, and I would probably lean Malik because I think he has a higher ceiling. I think Matt Corral is playing some of the best football that he will probably ever play right now. I think Malik Willis can really get better and keep taking the next step forward, so I would probably lean Malik, but
3: is this the best quarterback matchup we've seen so far this year in terms of like NFL ability or like the in terms of uh, the players as, as prospects? It has to be. Other than Matt Corral and Bryce Young, who will eventually down the line probably be probably be an NFL draft pick, but
1: yeah. I think that's the best quarterback matchup we've seen this year. It obviously did not translate that way because Alabama punched out Ole Miss in that game. But I would say this one's got to be up there, too. You're right. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head any other ones that drew my ire to this level.
3: What about Jason Bean and Caleb Williams, Kansas versus well, I was Oklahoma. about to say
1: last weekend, Kenny Pickett, Tyler Van Dyke, looked about as good as ever. I I mean, pretty, Kenny yeah. Pickett threw for a ton of yards as well as Van Dyke, led Miami to that victory. And I we were talking about how we thought Pitt should win that game but it wouldn't shock us if an upset occurred and Van Dyke had been playing really well and then you see what happens that brings me to my next point here though who would you put on upset alert this weekend of course all of us like Auburn over A&M and by definition of the line that's an upset because A&M's at four and a half but Auburn's ranked ahead of Texas A&M so it would be an upset if A&M beat Auburn I think it's an upset either way but Liberty Ole Miss who knows what's going to happen to Missouri? I mean, we know how bad we, it's how bad is it going to be, right? Number right. one, Georgia against Missouri. Do they call the dogs off? You know, Mississippi State's on the road at
3: Arkansas. Alabama's at home against LSU. Tennessee on the road at Kentucky. Florida, South Carolina. And we were talking about this game at launch earlier. No, Michigan State at Purdue. They're only three point favorites on the road. Rightfully so. That Purdue's could, not a bad team. That could be potentially a uh, an, an upset. I know that Tennessee's favored right now by a point on on the road, but that's an upset. But that is an upset, because, unranked over ranked. Right, exactly. So that that could potentially be a game that could get interesting. Washington has rebounded and they are somehow four and four, and Oregon's only a touchdown favorite on the road. Who knows? The I- Pac. We've seen stupider things in the Pac-12 this year. Look, they, Oregon lost to a three and five Stanford team. Okay, so that's not out of the realm of possibility at all.
1: Don't eat too fast through that bag of cupcakes, Oregon. <laughs> be careful. We'll be back with more of On the Line, 30 minutes left in the show.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Doll, as well as Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Well, us remind everybody, new listeners here in hour number two, good stuff coming up for you guys as far as content.
2: Yeah, we'll have different basketball stuff. Now the basketball season is going. We're previewing the AM game, and then we'll have coverage all throughout the weekend for the AM game as well. So we should have a ton of good stuff over there.
1: Bring on the basketball. SEC power rankings. Lance has prepared a list of teams in the sec and you wanted us to critique it tell you why you're wrong so let's yes, do it
3: absolutely okay so starting at number 14 we've got georgia, georgia i cannot disagree it's not a good basketball team they have not been good under tom Crean. the only positive you could take away from this uh this georgia season is that tom Crean's buyout decreases after the year is over so
1: don't be hating on my man tom Crean. i like tom Crean. i hated that he went to georgia because i was like man i don't want to root against you but i have to because he's at georgia but as soon as you said georgia i was like wait they have a team this year i thought everybody transferred
3: yeah i was about to say everybody transferred out of georgia i believe they had nine players transfer out of the program including uh katie johnson who is now playing for auburn but yeah number 14 i have georgia at number 13 i have south carolina They've got a couple of talented players in Keyshawn Bryant, and, uh, and uh, I'd, have to go pull, I'd have to go pull it up there. So they, they lack a lot of talent, and honestly, I think this might be Frank Martin's last season. If they aren't able to, to maybe even sniff the postseason, I think this may be it for Frank Martin.
2: Yeah, they're in a tough spot, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but Auburn has a home and away with South Carolina this year, right, on their schedule? They might. They play
1: at South Carolina for sure, but I don't know if they get them at
3: home.
2: I want to say they have a home and away, which was a very, very nice draw for Auburn based on how South Carolina is.
3: Playing in South Carolina. They do. It's the last game of the season. Playing in South Carolina is always like, I have haunting memories of it for two reasons. Number one, obviously, the Anthony McElmore injury. But also that one time Auburn got blown out in like 2016, 2017, whenever Ronnie Johnson was playing for us. I remember it might have been him that missed a couple of free throws. And that night they had something going on. It was like if Auburn misses two free throws in a row, everybody gets free Chick-fil-A. And the stadium or the gym freaked out after he missed them. I was so sad. But at the same time, I was like, you know, free Chick-fil-A, let's go. The
1: year that Auburn clinched the – SEC regular season title or share of it that year against South Carolina was actually the same day as my first date with my wife so I have good memories of South Carolina (laughs) there you go but I'll say this I don't think they'll finish 13 reason for that is oh this is just power rankings
3: oh like and so this isn't their, your prediction their, of it their momentum yeah no okay I, I, I think that it will definitely fluctuate but we could also view it as that sure it, it, if we, if we want to but, for talking
1: purposes i'll say yeah. this i don't think they finished 13 i think they finish a little bit higher than that now last year they finished 12th so that one spot though does make a difference to me because that was the difference between two conference wins between teams they went four and 12 second to last was a&m who went two and eight I just I think Frank Martin's a better coach than finishing at 13 or 14 in this league. And we know that they play a very physical brand of basketball. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, they always play hard. That has been the culture that Martin has instilled at South Carolina. They're gonna upset somebody along the way that you know is more talented than them. They may not be as talented as really anybody in this league they really probably do have 13 level talent in the sec but they're still going to play hard and they're going to play physical and they're going to sneak up and catch somebody and they're going to win a couple of games so i I think they finish higher than 13 but you're not wrong they are struggling for talent and i would hate to see them move away from frank martin because i think he's one of the last long he may be the longest tenured coach right now or one of the longer tenured coaches because i know uh, Calipari's up there as well but he is one of the longest tenured coaches right now in the sec and he's one of those last old guard coaches in this league as well talking about one of the older coaches in this league i would hate to see him go because that style of basketball is steadily finding its way out of the game and it's always refreshing i think especially if you can play a good brand I mean he took him to a final four he's
3: a, he's a good coach he's gonna have mm-hmm. to do two things this season number one he's gonna have to improve their defense because they were last in the SEC in points per game allowed and also they're gonna have to get their players to shoot the basketball better because they were last in the SEC in shooting percentage last year I think they're,
1: one of those things can happen
3: the defense the can defense happen. the yeah. offense I do not think can happen the offense probably not going to be there At number 12 I have Missouri because they lost four of their five starters and uh, it, to either graduation or the transfer portal, I just think this is simply a rebuilding year. So power rankings-wise, I have them at twelve. Conzo Martin-led
1: teams are interesting. The reason for that is they play a slower brand of basketball. If you don't have the offensive efficiency, you end up looking like South Carolina. You end up looking like Vanderbilt, <laughs> Texas A&M did last year. It's weird to see them drop from a tournament team all the way to that point, but thus is the fluctuation of basketball, and Missouri would be one of the teams that I would peg to do that in the SEC because they don't have quite the stability
3: that the other programs have at number 11 I have Vanderbilt uh for one sole reason and that is the fact that Scottie Pippen Jr. is back and so momentum wise I think they've got some good things to look forward to this season even though they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in the SEC I would not be surprised if this team finished like 13th
2: yeah I was going to say I was wondering when we were getting to Vanderbilt here but it's fair when you have Scottie Pippen Jr. to boost them up just a little bit
1: I wouldn't be shocked if they finished higher with Scottie Pippen and maybe A&M slots in there or A&M slots in lower. I don't like this A&M team. I don't think they're very talented at all. You talk about one of the poorer offensive teams in the league. A&M fits into that category. So I do think that A&M could end up finishing lower than Vanderbilt by the same – stance that they don't have a scotty pippen jr to be able to will them to some victories but also it feels weird for me after seeing vanderbilt struggle to win what one game of the last two years in conference play to see them oh no they won three last year but but to be able to bump themselves up from being perennially the last place team in the league to be able to move up potentially four or five spots in the league that that seems like a lot I'm not saying that it can't happen it just seems like a lot wouldn't you agree with that yeah, it It'd be, be a huge jump, and mm-hmm. it would give you some faith in Stackhouse and what he's doing right now and probably keep the hot seat off of him a little bit.
3: At number 10, I have Ole Miss. They really struggled Ooh. to shoot the basketball last season. They lost Devontae Shuler, who was scoring 15 points a game for them. I think they're going to need a couple of years to get them back into themselves, back into SEC contention. I just think they're a little young this season, and they lost their star player again. It's very similar to the Missouri situation. I don't think this team is bad. I just think power rankings wise, they're going to need to uh, they're going to need to build, build a little bit of momentum. That's hey, I would hope so. The ghost of the
1: Ole Miss Rebels always a problem for the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> exactly. I don't have much on that. I didn't realize that they had lost so much. Ole Miss, I think, is really well coached. Mm-hmm. with Kermit Davis. I mm-hmm. like him a lot. So once again that kind of me and Christian looked at her like, "Whoa, that's that's low it seems like." And we're kind of shocked that we haven't heard And name yet.
3: Yeah. Well, <laughs> they are next on my list at number 9 and let me give you some uh, some explanation. So they bring back two of their their better players, I believe in Quentin Jackson and Andre Gordon. Quentin Jackson is a very athletic guard if some of y'all did not see it last year that dunk he had against Tennessee where he just kind of cupped it on his way up it was a really athletic move really beautiful play he's going to be their leader Uh, They didn't shoot the basketball very well at all this season, but I believe they've got some transfers coming in that may help that. They've got a seven-footer from UConn that is a former five-star transferring in. They've got a transfer from Duke coming in. Hmm. They've got a top 100 recruit out of Plano, Texas coming in that's going to be a wing player. They're going to be a little young, but I like Buzz Williams as a coach. So right now, momentum-wise, I I, I put him at nine just for fun.
1: Some of those players that you just said coming in, though, I didn't realize they had imported all those those talents from those brands too. Like you yeah. know, those guys got to
3: have some athleticism, some talent with the places that they're coming from. So also want to point out though, they were last in the SEC in points per game and three point percentage. So they're definitely going to have to uh, they're going to have to get that stuff fixed. And Buzz Williams plays that that style of basketball that's going to have you in the three
1: hundreds in Ken Palm's tempo rankings. Right, right. Very slow. Very slow.
3: At number eight, I have Florida. Getting Keontae Johnson back from what was a really scary injury last year is huge. They also have Colin Castleton. Uh, and then they got a transfer from UMKC, Brandon McKissick, who shot 43% from three last season. And what averaged does UMKC
1: seven t- stand that's a for? Fantastic
3: question. I, I know. know. I, was, I was just throwing that out <laughs> there. University of. Missouri, Kansas City. Really interesting. Anyway, the Kangaroos. 43% from three and 17 points per game. The Kangaroos, wow. Would never have thought I would have seen that mascot. They actually
1: donned the actual name of Kangaroos instead of Akron, who are a bunch of frauds and said (laughs) zips.
3: There you go. But yeah, I don't think Florida's going to be a terrible team by any means. It's just that this, this is not the Florida team of old, and you look at the top half of the SEC, I just think there's a lot of talent in front of them. So.
1: Dude, you need to see this logo of UMKC. Is it
3: hype? Let me pull this it up. This
1: kangaroo is jacked. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Hartson versus this kangaroo in a cage <laughs> yeah. match. I need it. This oh, thing man. is jacked. Honestly, Yo. the kangaroo would win. Kangaroos are vicious animals. Yeah, those that, things are are those things could kick any of our butts. 100. percent. That, yeah, that kangaroo
3: beautiful. ain't playing. That's a dope logo. That is cool
1: all it needs is a pair of like aviator sunglasses yes and we could call that like that's like the RoboCop of kangaroos that is that's intense
3: that is awesome
1: so uh who, who was number Florida was eight Florida was I don't number mind eight. that they had a lot of guys transfer out too they're pretty young they had a lot of players transferring out I think they had seven or eight players transfer out of the program
2: when the season ended also aren't there still reports out there that keontae johnson might not play this year yes okay. so
3: we're i'm just i'm I'm leaving it open right now with florida are they a good team and eh, will they make the tournament yeah they were ju-
1: nine and seven and 15 to 10 last year i think you could ask the question were they a good team last year
3: yeah yeah not not very
1: and i think they're less talented this season brady At- just said no from the from the background brady do you have thoughts well they did lose keontae johnson yeah. early in that season so i mean that really hurt
3: yeah at number seven, I have LSU. They took a big hit when they lost uh, Adam Miller, who was transferring in from Illinois. He had a season-ending injury just a couple of weeks ago. Darius Days, Xavier Pinson, transfer from Missouri, should uh, lead the the backcourt. And Darius Days is a talented wing, but uh, they've got some really young guys that they expect to see significant minutes this season, specifically their star center Efton Reed that is coming in. You should see a lot of minutes, but this is just a a young team that lost Cam Thomas and a couple other big pieces and then Adam Miller uh, going down with an injury, so it bumped him down a little bit for me.
1: I'm realizing how deep this league is that LSU really legitimately can
3: be 7th.
2: And That's scary. At number mean, six, go ahead. Sorry, I was go ahead. just going to say, this might be your number six, but Bruce was talking about it the other day, that the fact that Mississippi State is picked by some at like eight or nine, mm-hmm. and you look at the talent that they're returning and then bringing in a guy like Garrison Brooks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the SEC is deep this year. So Mississippi State's number six. I want you to look at some of the names that they have
3: because they, uh, they brought in just a ton of talent. So they've got Iverson Molinar, who was averaging almost 17 points a game last season for them, Six three guard. They picked up Garrison Brooks from North Carolina, Rocket Watts from Michigan State, DJ Jeffries from Memphis, and Shaquille Moore from NC State. Uh, and Shaquille Moore is a former top five recruit from North Carolina. Okay. This has the makings of an NCAA tournament team. This team could be really, really good. I think a lot of people have got to watch out for them. And also, Tolu Smith... Who is a just a really talented big man for them as well. I mean, this is a complete basketball team. I think
1: right now, Rocket Watts is dealing with an injury. I don't disagree with you. They've got talent. The other thing and we is, were talking
3: about that the the other day.
1: Yeah, Rocket Watts. I don't think he's practiced for him yet. I don't. I don't think that. I don't. I think he's been missing for a couple months due to an injury. But the the thing about Mississippi State for me is I've heard this before. Like I've heard the talent. I've. I mean, they had a couple years ago when they had the Weathersperm Brothers, or like you knew that they were good but they never quite got over the hump, which is funny that that's the name of their arena. They never quite could get over that. They're talented, but I'm with you. Six sounds appropriate for Mississippi State, if not lower, especially if LSU or Florida, some of these other brands that recruit maybe a little bit better than Mississippi State, if they're able to get their chemistry going early on, you could see Mississippi State slide down the ladder. But to Christian's point, this is a really deep league that a team that talented
2: is that low i think six is like about the ceiling maybe five but like yeah. i don't think they get too much higher than that but i mean with how deep this league is and how good it is i think that's good enough to make the tournament i think you could see seven six seven sec teams make it yeah all right so let's do number five here and then
3: we'll we'll, we'll take a quick break number five again this is power rankings and these top five teams are very very good in my opinion arkansas is number five for me Ooh. They're coming off of a banner year. Moses Moody uh, left; he averaged almost 17 points a game. But they did reload. It, re- reload. JD Note is going to be good. Chris Likes transferred in from Miami. He's going to be really good. They've got a seven foot three uh, guy in Connor Vanover, who we got to see last year's can can shoot the three and can score in a lot of different ways. Devonte Davis was a guy that was really important for them in the the uh, NCAA tournament last year. He's going to be a factor. This is a very talented Arkansas team, but I just think right now there are some teams in front of them I could mix and match these four teams in front of them and I would be happy with it
2: see I have Arkansas as like number two for me okay personally so I was very surprised to hear that I just think Eric Musselman is a fantastic coach and they're going to find a way to put it together
1: I agree with Christian on that one not not saying but then again I get what you're saying too Lance yes, that yeah. there's not a whole lot separating any of these teams in the top five no and any one loss could be enough to leave you out of that first round bye
3: when it comes to the sec tournament mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yep. and that, that, that's what i'm saying and these other four teams don't get mad at who i have at number one these are power rankings okay so you have
1: alabama number
3: one i don't okay actually. good so but but <laughs> i was about to get mad <laughs> this is a very deep sec It's a very, very deep SEC, and I think we're going to see a lot of very good, very competitive basketball here. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. And on the other side of it, we'll reveal our top four or my top four teams in terms of power rankings in the SEC when we come back. Back on, on the Line, Noah
1: Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports, Central Alabama. Christian Cominte of albertsports.com. We are critiquing Lance Dahl's power rankings.
2: Well, we're just tearing it to shreds. SEC <laughs> men's
1: basketball, call us the shredder!
3: Lance, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we don't have to agree on everything here. Again, like I mentioned before winter break, the is uh, very deep this year. It's very loaded, very talented. Uh, who knows maybe Vanderbilt could finish first apparently Scotty Pippen uh, Jr's no. SEC player of the year according to uh, the, the media number four in my SEC power rankings I have Auburn they might have their most talented roster of all time and the what's holding me back is the question about their chemistry I've not seen this team yet this is very similar to how I felt about Auburn football going into the year I'm like I know they've got a little bit of talent on their roster I just don't know what this coaching staff's going to do with it turns out Auburn football is pretty good Auburn basketball, I expect them to to compete and and be very good. I just I don't know what this team's ceiling is because I have not seen them play a game. So, I'm going to find that out tomorrow. Uh all, all of us are whenever we watch the exhibition game just to see how these guys play with each other. Um but yeah, right now fourth in terms of power rankings, I'm just kind of I'm I'm reserving my feelings for after I see them play a couple of games.
2: The thing that I just the only thing I don't know about this team quite yet is the half-court offense. I don't know how that's going to end up working out. Um, I, they have all the pieces for it to work. I just don't know how it will end up working out, and I don't think we'll really know until Alan Flanagan gets back either. I talked about that a little earlier. But they have all the pieces there, but I think this is a team that really thrives in the fast break. I think Wendell and Zepp are really good when playing fast. KD excels at it. Walker Kessler, despite being seven foot one also excels in the fast break so i think they're going to want to play fast and i think that'll be good but like i just said my concern is the half court offense
1: i could see them finishing anywhere between
3: first and seventh i really could
2: i could see first to six yeah
3: i could see national championship uh in all seriousness though though i think uh this is a very talented team and again these top four or five teams in the league very interchangeable for me at number three i have alabama Alabama lost a little bit of talent last year, but they brought in another top 10 recruiting class. It's going to mix well with the guys that they have on roster right now. They're a little thin in the front court. They've got some really talented guards and Jaden Shackleford and Javon Quinterly. J.D. Davidson is going to be in the mix as well, a guy that Auburn was going after. Noah Gurley transferring in from Furman. He scored a lot on Auburn last year, which is concerning to me. It's like, well, he can do that against an SEC team. What's he going to look like when he gets a full season with the Alabama Crimson Tide? Could be interesting to watch there. So, yeah, another team that's got a lot of depth in a lot of different places and should score a lot of points.
1: This is the team inside the top four for me that I actually think has the most likely scenario to f- to fall out of the top four and and, and miss that first round by in the SEC tournament. And my reasoning for that is they seem to be a little bit more inexperienced compared to everyone else in this league. They lost a ton. And, of course, they may have some of that experience with the backcourt, with Quinterly and Shackelford, but that's it outside of those two guys where is the experience on this team and this is a team that had some underwhelming performances a lot last year they they were i mean they of course they still found ways to win games but they weren't without bad performances last year especially from an offensive standpoint i wouldn't be shocked if that's magnified a little bit more this year because of the lack of true front front
3: court play out of this team where I think you could look to and you can say they're really thin in the front court. I think a lot of teams could beat them up down low. I think it's definitely possible. But again, I'm just kind of banking on right now, just looking at all the different talent. It's very similar to the way that I view Auburn's team that went to the Final Four. They're going to be able to shoot a lot. They're going to play small ball most likely if they can. Uh, And then they've got a couple of really talented recruits that are young that could play in the post, but we'll just have to wait and see what they do. Number two, I have Tennessee. This is a very dangerous Tennessee team. Uh, five-star freshman, Kennedy Chandler. He's going to be a very exciting player to watch. I was talking about him to you guys during the break. I uh, watched the exhibition game for Tennessee. He he looks very competent. He looks very put together for a freshman. He's a guy that I'm going to really enjoy watching this season. He can shoot. He can make plays. He can distribute. He can get to the basket. I mean, he, he, he literally did it all. And I know it's an exhibition game, but I expect him – to To very much so be in the running for SEC Player of the Year, John Fulkerson, back for his 20th year with with the, the <laughs> Tennessee Volunteers. They got another really talented player in uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield. He's going to be a, a force in the post. They've got shooters Justin Powell, Santiago Vescovi. Uh, this it, is this is just a very talented team from top to bottom. And then they've got role players like Victor Victor Bailey Jr. who scored almost 11 points last game or last season. So. They've got, they've got a lot of different guys at a bunch of different positions. And then lastly, real quick, as we get out of here, Kentucky at number one for me. They brought in a lot of transfers that can shoot the basketball, and that's what they lacked last year. I think they'll be able to get it done this year. I don't know if they'll finish first in the SEC, but in terms of power rankings. You know, you got Sphere Wheeler from Georgia. C.J. Frederick from Iowa shot 46% last year. Uh, they, they, they got the, uh, the guy from Davidson, Kellen Grady. He had over 2,000 points with Davidson, so just a lot of talent up and down the roster.
1: Christian appreciates uh, yeah Christian appreciates
2: you <laughs> joining us today my man Yeah thank you guys for having me
1: Christian Clemente of albertsports.com with us on the Thursday edition of the show We'll be back with you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us